Welcome back to Chaos Cast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health. On the panel today are Saeed Chowdhury, Carnegie Mellon. Saeed? Hey everyone, it's great to be here. I'm Saeed Chowdhury, the director of the Open Source Programs Office at Carnegie Mellon and the Associate Dean for Digital Infrastructure. Thanks for being here, Saeed. Claire? Hi, everyone. Delighted to be here. My name is Claire Dillon. I'm based in Dublin, Ireland. I'm a researcher with the University of Galway and also associated with Lero, which is Science Foundation Ireland's Research Centre for Software, part of the OSPO there. And delighted to be here in this conversation. Thanks for being here, Claire. Alison Kittinger. Hello, I'm Alison. I'm, I guess, a relative newcomer to this OSPO land. I have a background in academic librarianship and scholarly communications and digital scholarship and Really excited to be sort of on on the cutting edge of what that can be in, in academia. So excited to be here. Thanks for being here, Allison. And last on the podcast is Zach Chandler. Zach? Hey, everyone. I'm Zach Chandler, and I'm the director of Open Scholarship Strategy in the Center for Open and Reproducible Science at Stanford University. And I'm also the executive director of Open Source at Stanford, which is a brand new venture associated with the course, the Center for Open and Reproducible Science. All right. Thanks, Zach. It's really great group of people here. Uh, So we have about five questions we'll probably get through and and four amazing panelists. So I'm just going to start out right away and any of you can jump in. Why does your university care about open source software? So it's a good question. What's interesting in the question is the assumption is that the university does care about open source software, but I think that's a fair assumption. I'll say in the case of Carnegie Mellon, there's an institutional perspective on this and then individual one. From an institutional perspective, I I think it's fair to say open source software helps the university meet its mission, whether that's the research, the education, and in particular, the dissemination or translation type of functions of the university. We're finding that open source software is a great way to showcase the work that's happening in Carnegie Mellon, getting it out beyond the walls of Carnegie Mellon, certainly within the institution as well. I would say on an individual basis, the faculty increasingly think of open source software as a primary research object unto itself. So we typically talk about papers, data, increasingly hardware, but open source software is one of those major research outputs. And the students certainly see it as an important part of their education experience and opportunities to learn and interact with other students, private companies, so on. Based in the libraries, I'll say that it's a key part of the overall open science program. So we're finding a lot of resonance between the things we're doing in our OSPO and what has been happening and continues to happen at Carnegie Mellon around open science and open scholarship. It's a test of wills to see who's going to crack first, me or You, you were unmuted, so I thought... Oh, oh sorry, yeah. Oh, but <laughs> if you want me to go first, that's fine. Sure. All right, yeah, so... For us, UW-Madison, we just opened our open source program office. I was hired in November as like the, the first staff member, so hooray. And we're really excited to be a part of this community. And I, I think that is one of the, the major reasons why we're interested in this is, is an open source sort of community. We have these pockets of open source activity that we're aware of on campus. People are already doing this. It's something that We've received anecdotes on people wanting more support for this. And as a scholarly communications librarian, I know 
that open source software doesn't really have as much of a home in the libraries and it doesn't necessarily need to be in the libraries. And as it becomes recognized more and more as a research output, I think that having similar support for open source analogous to um, scholarly communications for open publishing and things like that will be really important. And also uniting those pockets that we have on campus already into a community, into creating a culture of open source rather than being a place where open source happens, really putting intention behind it and trying to give best practices, give provide training and education for students, providing a community where people can collaborate with each other that hopefully snowballs into this self-sustaining thing that I kind of maintain and support like a benevolent gardener. But yes. <laughs> For my part, I would echo a lot of what Allison and Said have said already. So I'll try to like pick a slightly different tack. So our university cares about open source software. And I guess I would say our university, I'm, I'm sort of channeling the researchers that I know. So we're in the business of research and teaching and the public benefit. And open source software is one of the ways to do that. Largely, I would say the the culture that I'm attuned to at Stanford is very much plugged into open science and is committed to it. And we can't really have truly fair data sharing. By that, I mean findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable, especially the latter half of that acronym, the interoperability and reusability part, without also sharing code. So if we're not sharing software and ideally open source software while we're sharing our code, then we're not really making good on the promise of that. And I think another reason why it matters to us comes down to mastery. So it's an intrinsic uh, value proposition of open source software to be able to modify it and do whatever you want with it, which is really true of proprietary software. And scientists often build their own instrumentation. And as we move into a world that is increasingly computational and data centric, the instrument is often software. So I think our ethos of sharing and public benefit combined with our drive for innovation kind of comes together in our commitment to open source. Thanks, Zach. And I suppose speaking from Ireland's perspective, Lero is a slightly different example because it's a research centre that spans and has represented us from over 12 universities in Ireland. And so part of the reason why Lero set up an open source programme office, I think, again, echoes some of the trends that everyone else has already talked about. Certainly in Ireland, the open research strategy and direction has been growing in momentum in the last number of years. And we have a national open research forum, for example, which would promote the broader concept of open research, of which open source software is that important part. I think that Lero recognised the fact that perhaps there are inconsistent levels of how of quality in terms of how people are engaging with open source software across the Irish university ecosystem and are attempting to, I suppose, raise the excellence, the, the bar for how um, people are engaging with open source across the university ecosystem in Ireland. And then, of course, Lero itself is a research centre for software and open source itself being an important part of software excellence for everyone, not just researchers, is, is something they're interested in as well. So I think it's two-phase from Lero's point of view, um, both in terms of the researchers that engage with Lero but also they have a function as a broad outreach um, to actually raise the overall awareness around the importance of open source, both in the context of open research, but also just generally as being a, such an important factor in today's software ecosystem for everyone. And that's an important goal they have as well. Thanks, everyone. I, I have a follow up 
question. Something that has been on my mind for a while, and I don't think I personally have a great answer, is what is the relationship with universities' engagement with open source and libraries? This seems to be a really historical relationship, and it's always been a little unclear to me, and I'd love any insight on that. I guess I can talk as a librarian (laughs) or a former one. (laughs) I see a lot of, as I sort of mentioned before, sort of analogies between open source and things that are already happening in libraries, like scholarly publishing, digital scholarship, public humanities, things like that. And I think that sort of through supporting those things, librarians are naturally supporting open source software. A lot of universities don't necessarily have an open source librarian, but I think a lot of them are sort of picking up that information and trying to support their faculty to the best of their ability. If you're a scholarly communications librarian, you might be familiar with a lot of the open publishing licenses, and then maybe someone comes to you with a question about software publishing, and then you familiarize yourself with software licenses. And and sometimes, and I, I think this is happening now, you know, open source is becoming such an imperative part of open science that maybe it's expanding beyond that capacity of someone who's a librarian, maybe a subject librarian or a scholarly communications librarian, and and maybe universities will eventually need an open source librarian or an open source program office to really sort of give that support a home and make it something that's intentional. That's actually how my scholarly communications job came about. It's like a lot of the subject librarians were already helping their faculty with publishing and things like that. But as the university I was at became an R2, they wanted more dedicated research support. So I just took all of the initiatives that they were doing already. They already had started publishing fund for APCs and things like that. And I became that point person. And I think that is something that should, I guess, happen And I mean, depending on your context and things like that for open source, like having that point person that librarians can collaborate with and whether or not your OSPO is in the library, maintaining that relationship with libraries, because I'm sure a lot of them have already seen open source things (laughs) pass by them and things like that, but really creating that capacity so that whether it's in the library or not, so that there is support for open source software in a similar manner as librarians are doing. Yeah, I just plus one to everything Allison just said. And if I can sort of reinforce in some cases and maybe build upon in others. One thing about libraries, particularly within a university context, is they are a neutral entity, so to speak. So when you think about something like open scholarship, which ideally should permeate every division, college, school, or aspect of the university, it's a little difficult to say the engineering school is going to own that or the School of Design is going to own that because then there's somewhat of an anchoring effect. And it becomes, oh, that's the engineering division cares about open scholarship. I don't want to worry about it. Whereas if it's in the libraries, it's an easier case, in my opinion, to say this is a cross-cutting institutional type of activity. So I think that's why a lot of open scholarship open science programs have this very clear alignment, if you will, with the library. The other thing I'll say is the library has a curation function that's very important. So whether that's papers, data, software, or any kind of artifact, to be honest. And one of the questions is how much curation is necessary for open source software? 
One of the most provocative statements I heard early on in my journey was from Stephen Wally at Microsoft, where he said, we don't need more software. We have more than enough software. We just need to know which of those software are in what state and, and how to basically improve the state of some of that other kinds of software. He was being deliberately provocative. The general point is the curation function, again, is something that typically, and again, Allison's right, doesn't have to be in the library, but traditionally or typically it has oh, been we're, aligned. We're a little different library. because we, have a, we also have an interdisciplinary data science institute. I was also thinking from the perspective that not every library will necessarily have an OSPO, but maybe in the future there will be more open source librarians or some sort of other shape that this support can take. That would be a cool place to get to. <laughs> Go ahead, Claire. On a completely different note, my first interaction with librarians has been through this open source ecosystem, and they're great. As a general observation, I had really many librarians before, but as, as an actual discipline, aren't librarians fantastic? We should all know more of them. That's all I'm going to say. That's actually very similar to what I was going to say, Claire. So our, <laughs> our OSPO is actually situated within Stanford Data Science. So mine is one of the ones that is not in a library, but I am a huge fan of academic libraries and librarians. They are tremendous. The Carpentries movement lots of times attracts a lot of librarians and, and libraries tends to be where those things propagate across campus. And also just look at their mission. They are facilitators and make resources available to people for free. So I think in terms of ethos, libraries are also aligned uh, with open source. That's great. Thank you, everybody, for helping me <laughs> in that connection. That's one that I've been wondering about for a while. All right. So these first two questions are kind of you reflecting maybe the university and, and in particular the library, but maybe we'll focus a little bit on, on just you now. So could you maybe describe a day in your life as to what you're doing with respect to the university and, and open source engagement or open source work? It could even be just today. What did you, what did you do today other than this podcast? <laughs> this morning, I mentioned that Lero's OSPO some of the work there is being inspired by our National Open Research Forum. And one of the projects we're working in, on in the context of that is about trying to actually create framework for open source policy for Irish universities. So it's basically to help folks that may not have an open source policy understand what they may want to address in that and to give them some examples of what's happening elsewhere in the world around that. So I spent the first half of the day looking at that and looking at international examples of open source policies and we were talking about how to bring together the various stakeholders in Irish universities to get input into that to see what would be relevant in our context, in the Irish context, based on how we were doing that. So it's the kind of project that is really interesting because the goal is to actually bring in different voices, not just folks that might be software developers, but perhaps also individuals who might work in the tra technology transfer offices in universities, those folks that may know more about their IP strategy librarians feature strongly. So it's a wonderful way to think about not just the end goal, but how, how we engage with all those different audiences to try and raise their awareness about open source and how we can all work with it in a more effective way. For me, it's been a, a lot of planning and a lot of trying to hire someone. <laughs> so we've been really trying to sort of set the foundation, doing a lot of planning about where we want to go, what we want to see, what our guiding principles are, those kinds of things, working that through. But most recently, we had an offer accepted for our outreach specialist role. Hooray. I'm really excited about having outreach capacity as well. As a librarian, a lot of the times you do your own outreach, and I strongly believe that outreach is its own full-time thing. <laughs> so I'm really excited to have 
someone on my team, a dedicated outreach role and thinking about in the future based on our needs, what we, what else, what other positions we might add in the future. That's the fun part. It's like, Ooh, who else is going to be here? <laughs> Allison, is this, is it outreach within the university or is it outreach within the state of Wisconsin nationally? Like what kind of outreach are you talking about? So focusing mostly on the OSPO's own outreach efforts, what channels we should use, sort of seeking out those potential collaborations within both the community and campus, trying to see where we can plug into things, organizing events. We have grand designs for <laughs> open source related events on campus. So a role that would really take the lead on event planning logistics, trying to find the channels that we should market to, the audience that we have, especially as we um, work on conducting needs assessments of our community and figuring out what's happening already on campus and also what people are excited to see from us. I think my day in life sounds similar to Allison's in that if we were to have this conversation a year or two from now, I think we'd be saying different things. But we have been in existence for a few months and hiring is a major milestone to hit. I was very lucky to hire Francesca Vera as our technical community manager. And I agree with Allison that like night and day different in terms of like what we can get done by adding that team member. So in a given day, we might do consult and open source licensing choices and ramifications of choices for people that really don't know how to get started. And then on a different day, we might be talking to a very advanced open source project that already has community sustainability, has everything figured out. And we're just honestly trying to learn from them and trying to figure out how we can be of use to them because they are in a race to deliver results in their specific area. So they may not be looking at things like community health metrics. So part of our mission is to kind of mind the store as a whole and just try to figure out what all exists is actually quite difficult. So that I think the other daily life of a university OSPO comes down to figuring out what the university already has because it's our job to overcome silos that quite often exist. I really liked Allison's mention of a garden. I think that's a very nice metaphor. Universities are organic. That's right. Uh, one does not show up and say, this is the plan. Now everyone adhere to it, which is, you know, I don't think you can engineer your garden, so to speak. I think it's similar that one may walk into a garden with a set of tools thinking, this is what I'm going to do today. And then you walk in there and you look around, and you go, no, I'm not. You know, it's, it snowed heavily in Baltimore last night and this morning. So you walk into a garden full of snow, it's very different than what you might have been planning to do. I think that's been an experience. I have the benefit of having been in the CME OSPO for a bit longer. The CME OSPO started in July of 2022, and I arrived just about a month after that. So we are more in that maybe type of steady state type of situation now. Um, I think it, it really ranges from at the strategic level, just like an environmental scan, what's happening in the institution. One of the real benefits, I'll say, of open source software is, I have used this metaphor of like releasing something as a biomarker into a stream, right? sort of permeates the whole institution. And I try to keep my eyes on, oh, look, not over there. Are they using open source? Or do they want to use open source? And so just trying that environmental scan, mapping it to what the OSPO is doing or hoping to do, all the way to very transactional types of operational things, making sure contracts are going through, 
vendors being set up, those types of things that the types of things anyone has to deal with in, in a university on, on, on a regular basis. And Claire and I have, were in an earlier call today where I think this is another really important point I'll bring up is that universities, in my experience, really work on social capital, right? They, they're, they're not places where a single leader can turn around and say, thou shalt do the following things. It really is much more about what relationships can one build and how can one sort of have a, the partnerships or the alignment of self-interest, so to speak. So how can build, you know, how can one build partnerships so that there is this growing sense that we're in this together? And I'm maybe jumping to the next question a little bit, but one of the most positive things I think that's happened at CMU is people are referring others to the OSPO or talking about the OSPO in good ways. I mean, I'm, not, I'm aware of the good ways. Talking about the OSPO in good ways without me or our community manager being there. And I think that's kind of a nice inflection point. This is great. As somebody who has done personally a lot of community building around the chaos project for seven years, people are difficult. Community building is very hard. Do you look at the work that you're doing as building community within your respective universities? And maybe you could talk a little bit about that. I think you've all alluded to this, but definitely speak to that. I'll jump in by saying there are no difficult people at Carnegie Mellon that I don't know what you're talking about. But in case I'm wrong, definitely a key part of the message about the OSPO has been we call ourselves a community convener and and a center of competency. To Zach's point, there are people here who know much more about software than I do. So I'm not going to walk into every room saying, hey, I'm the open source expert. But if one thinks about the breadth issues, and everyone's alluded to that, that anyone might be thinking about or not thinking about when working with open source, that's a key way to sort of say, we can be a clearinghouse for information and resources and contacts and networking. We can help students identify internship opportunities or courses. Tom Hughes is our community manager. He's done a review of the curriculum, where is open source being used in the classroom. So we, we definitely are trying to position ourselves as the one-stop shop, so to speak. If you're focused on open source at a high level, at a specific kind of need, whatever, is the OSPO the place where you can come and start answering those questions? I think that's a really important role. It's difficult one to do in a university context, but I think it's, it's a critical one for an OSPO. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 100% to all of that. My official job title is Project Program Manager. So I really see my role as being that sort of like OSPO as a project manager sort of thing where I'm really trying to grow and build this and finding this timeline and, and seeing where we're going and what people are saying about us and really developing that community. I, The Wisconsin idea, which actually is sort of concept that has been around since this university was being built and it's you know the boundaries of the university are the boundaries of the state and the things we do here should positively affect everyone not just the campus itself it should be the whole community and and i think that dovetails so much with the ethos of open source and just being able to frame open source and and what it does for communities and for people in that sort of Wisconsin idea context has been helpful. That's just a thing we have. And I, I really like that, the Wisconsin idea. I think that, you know, is something that a lot of universities do, but it's nice to see it put into words and as a thing that is a guiding sort of light to the universities. So I take that as my foundation and really am trying to craft 
what I'm doing here to benefit not just the university, but the wider community, trying to make those connections across Wisconsin and potentially beyond. For our part, yeah, community is a huge part of how we're approaching this. And what comes to mind for me in our strategy is that we are looking to build community amongst certain like strata of the university. In particular, we're convening a new group that we're calling the Maintainers and Contributors Roundtable. We're looking to pull coding leads out of various labs across the university and bring them all together in a ways that they can learn from each other or support each other. And hopefully we can do the same for them. These are often grad students and postdocs. And we actually have a couple like convening rules. And I was a little nervous about this idea, but I wanted to come up with a rule that there's no faculty allowed in these roundtables. And I sort of cringe and my boss was like, who is a faculty member, by the way, he's like, that's a great idea. So I was like, <laughs> we actually haven't met yet. Our first meeting is this month. So I'll let you know how that goes, but that's what we're aiming for. We're looking for ways to elevate the practice of software production at the university and support the folks that are actually doing it. And how do we elevate that work? And how do we get them to help each other? Because like Saeed was saying, like, I definitely cannot help some of these folks. They're just way too advanced but they might be able to help each other. And I'm certain they can actually, because what we found in some of our research is that our outreach in the, the community so far, they're in different levels of progression and maturity as a community. Some of them are very well supported, some of them less so, and some of them have answers to the other's question. So that's going to be like our convening function, I think. So yeah, so for, from Lero's perspective, I think the community building is equally as important. I think for me, one of the most interesting things about this journey and this community is actually the diversity of the types of people involved as well. So I think one of the maybe unique things, I don't know if it's unique, but certainly in the university context, um, there are so many more people who appreciate and are involved in open source that are not developers, software developers. They wouldn't call themselves developers. The topic seems to touch so many people, like people who might have a legal background, folks in the technology transfer offices folks in humanities that would never be thinking about themselves as like software. The whole idea of software excellence is not something that's on their necessarily their radar. They just happen to need to develop some for whatever they're doing. And I think the challenge then that exists around community development in that kind of scenario is the fact that when you have that level of diversity, even the maybe tried and trusted methods of how you engage with community maybe changes. So thinking about even the point of assuming, you can't assume that people know how to use GitHub. You can't assume that people, if they want to contribute, can even all contribute in the same way. Like some of them perhaps can do it in joint docs. Some of them can't. Some of them have universities that have IT policies about this, that and the other, and they can't use certain tools and all the rest of it. Even in terms of how they like to speak, the language they use, the importance of certain words to certain types of people, all of these things, I think, makes community so much more interesting. But for me, it's it's teaching me a lot about this idea of diversity of role type within communities and seeing folks from these different backgrounds all work together. I mean, that's marvelous. Like, that's really, really exciting. But it really points to the fact that open source, like we talk about open source software, the concept and the value, it's so much broader than software developers or the software ecosystem. And it really points to that potential impact for society that I think Alison was also talking about in terms of the Wisconsin idea. I love that. Maybe we should have an Irish idea of the similar of a similar vein, but uh, I might steal that one. But I do think that this idea that open source is bigger than software 
or the impact is bigger than software is something that is a valuable idea for all of us. This is great. So I do know that having worked in universities for long times, they can be interesting organizations and they vary greatly, even just with the four folks that are on here, the universities that I've worked at. So within your particular context, do you feel like you're making positive strides in the work that you're doing? I know some of your OSPOs are very new, maybe hard to really see those positive impacts immediately. And kind of in this in the same light, are there challenges that you're seeing in your establishment of a university OSPO? One of the things that would come to mind is the challenges of at a university having faculty understand what it is that you do, having deans understand what it is that you do, having provosts understand what you do, having just the many layers within a university, kind of understanding the message that you're trying to focus on. So this could be a, a talk of either to the gains that you feel that you're having or unexpected challenges that you feel like you've run into. I guess I can bundle those together in that. Thank you for, again, underlining this is really early days, like a chance to answer this question maybe a year from now. But we've been pretty successful at engaging with the research community and sort of turning out projects that we didn't know existed before. And I credit that to having faculty leadership in our organization. Without Russ Poldrack, I don't think I would have half as many of these on my radar. But the challenge is like, what now? Ingredients are amazing. In isolation, there are all these really incredible projects happening. How then do we build a meaningful fabric out of that? And how do we have a value proposition that we can really make the most of this? I think that's the biggest challenge in front of us. We have some ideas about this, but I think the real challenge is given such a great starting point, how do we make the most of this and have the greatest impact? Yeah, to to add on to that, I think another facet of that is wanting to do everything at the beginning, like all the time. And you see so many directions you can go in and so many amazing projects that are already happening. And it's like, yeah, like I want to be everything all the time to everyone because this is so amazing. And I think for the sustainability of, of the project, you have to sort of, I guess, pace yourself there and try to focus on some maybe key things that you can do that might even achieve the goals in a different way that you're thinking about more long-term. But yeah, it's like a self-imposed like scope creep out of excitement, <laughs> maybe not going too broad too quickly and really trying to zero in on what your community specifically is interested in and, and what they need and how you can provide that. And maybe as we talked about the university sort of an organism or a garden, maybe some of those other things you're interested in doing will grow organically from what you start with. But yeah, that's something I struggle with. It's like, oh, all these shiny things. <laughs> I want to echo Alison's all the shiny things that we could all be doing. Comment. That's a constant challenge. But I suppose one of the things that I want to kind of follow on from that is, is a shout out to groups like Chaos as well for providing an opportunity for us all to share what we're doing. So at least we don't have to do it twice, hopefully, if we can learn from other people about the challenges and the opportunities there. So yay for Chaos's university working group that helps us discuss that too. And the other groups out there that do that too, the more opportunities, the better for talking about the various different challenges and, and opportunities around this area. The other thing that I would say I mentioned briefly earlier, for me, the wonderful thing about what we've been doing recently in Ireland is about this idea of being able to reach people who you didn't traditionally think were like into open source or are concerned about open source, but it turns out they are and they care. Like folks in the technology transfer office, for example, who again are not developers, 
but are keen to get involved because they see this as a growing momentum in general that they have to be able to support as well within their university context. Now, that's then both that opportunity and it's a wonderful thing because it's a game that you're starting to be able to talk to these people. But the challenge that comes with that is that like a lot of the stuff that's out there today around open source is aimed at a techie audience, like it's aimed at developers. And sometimes you have to translate these things for an audience who hasn't got that background. Um, And that's challenging. That is another shiny thing that we have to all work on because you see the potential of like, you can understand why people are getting excited about it and, and the potential for open source. And they're like, how can I learn more? And you're like, well, you can look at, and then you go, oh no, you can't really look at that because that, that wouldn't speak to you. <laughs> and you can look, no, no, that's going to speak to a different audience. It's probably not going to resonate. And then you're like, oh no, that's all going to like assume that you've got all this background knowledge about how to contribute to GitHub and blah, blah, blah. So for in some respects, there's lots of opportunity and excitement and people wanting to learn. And the job of work seems enormous actually for all of us in terms of helping to spread this idea on the value of open source and how to do it right beyond maybe the usual suspects of folks that would have a particular type of background. So for me, that's a little bit about the challenge because sometimes the conversation just has to be slightly different. Yeah, I think I alluded to earlier that one of the gains I feel we have at, at CMU is that people are beginning to think about the OSPO as that one-stop sort of shop for open source. And maybe just going a little deeper on that, one of the, the questions or maybe even metrics I look at in, in a lot of the work we're doing is, are we able to persuade an individual, faculty member, student, administrator, take your pick, to think about a facet of open source that they hadn't thought about before, and in a positive way, that it's actually made their work better or advancing with their goals and so on? And just governance is one that comes to mind. In several conversations I've had where faculty or students would say, we have this project and we want it to grow. And somewhat to Claire's point, an assumption sometimes is I just need another software developer. Well, actually, maybe not. Maybe what you need is other people working on it instead of you taking another software developer, another grad student saying, here, you're going to do this now. So are we having more of those kinds of conversations where somebody says, I never thought about that before, but it's really important that I do. And thank you for helping. You know, unexpected challenge, I'll put out there. I don't know, be careful what you wish, but it's the right way of putting it or not. But what happens when you meet someone who's been thinking about this a lot and has a very immediate question and, and request? And I'll give you a very real world case. When I arrived at CMU, Keith Webster, he asked me to give a talk. I said, sure, I'm happy to do that. And then just as I'm about to start, he brings somebody up and goes, Oh, Saeed, this is Marshall Abear. He's the dean of computers. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you invited computer science to my first talk at CMU. So I'm just anxious the whole time, wondering what he's thinking. And then he comes up to me at the end. He goes, I need you to tell me what license to pick so I can tell my faculty. He's clearly been thinking about this for a while. And the challenge is he wants a very clear answer. Right? He wants me to say, this is the license that all of your faculty should use it. And I'm not an expert in licenses, but I knew enough to say, can't answer that definitively and easily for you right now. I can certainly work with people like Tech Transfer, others in the open source community, the foundations that, that are you know doing this kind of work and come back to you with a much better sort of fleshed out, robust kind of answer. But I don't want that to linger forever, right? I want to be able to go back to him and say, I have now worked internally and externally with a lot of experts on this, and this is the recommendation I have. So there may be those moments where you're thinking, boy, I wish, you know, the dean or someone would just ask me for something. And then they do. And you go, oh, boy, I wasn't expecting that. That's great. Well, honestly, I have about 
four or five other questions that would probably lead to about four or five other questions. So we're going to have to wrap it up. This is amazing. I was thinking, Zach, we should almost do this again in a year, seeing how the, the yeah. answers to the questions look a year from now. So, so Where thank are they now? <laughs> yeah, it would be great. So I think we will end this podcast with a few value adds. If we could just kind of speak to those a little bit. These are things that, that brought joy or value or meaning to your life recently. I'll just say that I, I read a book. It's Bicycles, Bake Lights, and Bulbs. It's by Willie Biker, a theory towards a theory of socio-technical change. It's a book that has been sitting on my shelf for probably 20 years that I just finally committed to reading. And it's really going to help shape a, a project that I'm on. So I'm really happy about the, the theoretical structure that it's going to provide. Claire? Well, yes, I was thinking about this. I got an email into my inbox today from a chap that I met at an event, and his name is Roger Steer. He's a corporate philosopher. So he, he talks about moral values and how we can inject it into corporate life. And he's a marvellous man and really interesting. But he wrote an email today called Hope is a Verb. And it's about hope and its importance in terms of our ability to live our lives in a meaningful way and in an effective way. And, and how about a lack of hope, how dangerous it can be, it can lead to extremism. Post itself was marvelously inspiring. And then he linked a couple of really great books and follow on posts that I found amazing. So shout out to Roger. Thank you for making my day there. Yeah, I've committed to taking 10,000 steps a day. And I, I don't fully know if this is actually, there's lots of questions about whether this is really the right thing to do from a health perspective or when you live to 90 to do it or whatever. I actually don't even know. And to some degree, I don't even care. The main reason is, I suspect the five of us and people watching this spend a lot of time in front of screens, and I don't have a big enough house that I can get to 10,000 steps by walking inside. So it forces me to go outside every day and to take a walk. And I'm finding that's an incredibly wonderful, liberating thing to do. Being a technology person, I now, of course, have apps that remind me to do this and reward me if I do it or, or tell me you're only 900 steps away, things like that. But I'm trying not to let that be the, the driver. It's just a reminder to disengage, go outside, look at nature. Allison? I love how all of these, I'll just say, are like wonderful self-improvement things and mine is just a cheese, but I will present it anyway. So I went to my local cheese shop, which is adorably titled Fromagination. That's the name of the shop. Highly recommend if you're ever in Madison. And it's just a specialty cheese thing. And they gave me this cheese and they told me it's one of the most awarded cheeses in America. And I was like, I have to try one of the most awarded cheeses in America. And that is Upland's Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese. It's an alpine style cheese and it's extremely delicious. I could just probably eat a chunk of it without anything else. It's really meltable. You can put it on all kinds of things or you can put it on crackers. It's a really versatile, delicious cheese and I see why it is awarded so much. So I love it. <laughs> and and I, I think cheese is a form of self-improvement. Oh yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Well, Allison, I think I'll stay with you and refrain from the deeply meaningful answer to <laughs> this question. Something that brought me joy recently. So I wasn't planning on product placement as part of this podcast, but what you're looking at here is a Z bracket. Okay. So this is something that is designed by a company called G-Bomb and the loaded longboard company, which is the best bamboo longboard in the world for carving turns when not on snow developed this product to be able to mount 
onto kind of anything and turn it into a skateboard. So this right here looks like a two by four. Nope. Now it's a skateboard. So basically it's like allows you to put skateboard trucks kind of on anything. So that's joy for me is uh, now sort of figuring out what else I could turn into a skateboard. Like, so like <laughs> all the cutting boards in my house are now fair game. You know, I'm a terrible housemate, but this is what brings me joy. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, honestly, thank you everybody for all of your time and insight today. And thanks for everybody listening for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the, the episode. And until next time from your chaos community, take care. Thanks, Matt. Take care, thanks, everyone. Matt. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.